Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast and on this episode we preview the Ashes and the first test in Edgbaston. Here to cover every angle are two men whose maiden Ashes tour was the unforgettable series in 2005. Welcome former Australian wickkeeper Brad Haddon and cricket.com.au senior writer Andrew Ramsey. Brad, thanks for coming on and Rambo, thanks for turning up again. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. All right, here we are. Ashes series number 71. Australia have their edge 33-32 to 32 over England. Uh, we've got 28 more victories in this storied contest. Um, Brad, you're with the Australian team. How's the vibe in the group a couple of days out from the first test? Yeah, it, it's been it's been a good build-up, as you'd say, that leading into any series. But to, today was really about getting some intensity in our group. Um, we, did, we did a bit of one-on-one stuff and smaller group stuff leading into the day, but the guys were really ready to, to get out there and, and do some stuff together get a bit of our fielding done where our intensity jumps up and they, and they start to work hard together and, and competitive nets. Um, and that's what today was all about. And, and, and it was a really good start. Right. Uh, who, who, who's, who's impressed you? You've been with the World Cup and now the, the Australia Ashes squad. Who's, who's really stood out for you? Um, I, I think for me, James Pattinson. Um, in, in a couple of ways, the story behind how he's got back to where he is, I, I think so. A pretty special one for the game. Um, he, he had a lot of problems with his back, and there would have been some dark days um, behind closed doors. I'd imagine for James and his family, whether he'd ever get back to this moment. So the excitement that he brings to the group, just having the opportunity to get back to play an Ashes campaign, to me, that's what this series is about. The theatre's different, um, and those sort of stories. Maybe we'll have an alderman of of eighty nine. Who knows with a something like that? But the story behind James Pattinson to get to where he is now, I think, is a special one already. Did you maybe get one over the English today because uh, the weather forecast isn't great for the next couple of days? I gather you guys brought your main training session forward today to make the most of the beautiful Birmingham sun. Whereas England had, I think, three or four guys turn up just for a bit of a an optional session today. They might not get on the park for the next two days. Is that a bonus? Um, I, I don't think so. I think from England's point of view, I, I think they got some really good cricket into their group last week in against Ireland. Um, they got to play in a, in a competitive game, um, got rid of the hangover, I'd imagine, from the from the World Cup, and, and they would, I, I'd imagine they would have got a lot of cricket um, in there. And knowing Trevor Bayliss um, as well as I do, um, no matter whether they get on tomorrow or the weather's indifferent, he, he'll have them ready for, for the first ball. Have you spoke to Trevor after the World Cup? Yeah, I have. Um, oh, how, how did he celebrate? <laughs> long. Um, oh, I, I think it's um, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a great feather for, for Trevor as well. He, he's he's been a successful coach for a long time. He's he's been to, to World Cup um, final with Sri Lanka, um, and he was brought here to to do a job um, to to win a World Cup for for England. And I think one of the most impressive things, having played in a World Cup myself at home, there's. There can be a different pressure and expectation. The, the World Cup's a massive event, as we know, but 
on your home soil. You were number one team leading into the the tournament. Everything pointed to towards you guys, uh, England winning winning the series. Um, and, and that's what they did. So yeah, I bumped into him today actually, and he he, he was pretty relaxed. Right. We spoke to Ashley Giles, the new man, managing director of England's men's cricket today, and he said that they were concerned that if England hadn't won that World Cup, how they were going to get them up ready for the Ashes so clearly that was a, a major issue for them as well Yeah I, I think this is a pretty unique uh, moment in cricket that you, you're coming off two of the marquee events in, in world cricket with a, with the World Cup and, and obviously for England Australia the, oh, the, the pinnacle out of our test cricket is, is this event now, the, the Ashes that I've said on a number of times the theatre and expectation around this uh, this series is is bigger than most. Um, so, yeah, uh, let, let's hope England still have a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think they'll be pretty pretty ready to go. And and I think the enormity of the occasion will soon put the, the World Cup once that first ball gets bowled here at Birmingham behind everyone. Ashley Giles spoke about how the England players still consider Test cricket as the pinnacle of the sport. I know Steve Waugh considers it the pinnacle of sport. And I think as you exclusively revealed, Andrew, that he's the most winning Ashes player in history. Uh, yes, he, he most played the most winning, certainly in England. Like he's played in more winning Ashes games in England than any England cricketer. That includes you know, WG Grace and Surrey and Botham and greats like that. So it's, it's a pretty extraordinary record. He's got a good coach and master class from JL then to get Tug. We're, we're right as rain then, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing can go wrong here. No, nothing can go wrong now. Well, I was going to ask you, he's been around the group. What's he brought? Oh, I think you've, you've answered it there. Just the experience of, of an Astros camp. I think he lost his first one. Then I think he won eight after that. Um, so just the experience. He, the one thing about Ashes is both teams are very highly skilled and we know the theatre behind it, but it's about recognising and winning those big moments. And if you look back in the history of the game for, for Australia or anywhere, really, Steve Waugh was as good as that as anyone. Um, and and I think those one-on-one conversations with the players and and, and over breakfast, the, the informal ones on the bus as well, just allows the guys to, to understand what it means and, and whether they what whether they take something little out of that that makes a difference when they get in that big moment. It's, it's just been great... To have him there, so the guy's got the opportunity to use him. His playing days finished just as your starter, but you played together Shield Cricket, right? What's what's some of your first memories, or can you remember your first memory playing with Steve Waugh? Yeah, I, I remember uh, playing a one-day final uh, against WA in Perth, and W we we bowled first, and WA got two thirty, and I remember Steve pulling us in and just saying, "Guys, they can't bowl to us now." We um, we will get these runs, hands, and you just you just felt like you could do anything. I got a real good forty off twenty balls and got too excited and got out. <laughs> but we we won the game in in under twenty overs or or twenty five overs, and he just makes you feel like you can do anything. Right? Are you still learning things from him? A hundred percent. It's 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 good for the the staff to have fresh eyes as well. We've we've been together now for twelve months. His coaching group, and, and it's always good to to bring different people in just to get fresh eyes. Sometimes they can pick up the littlest things that you were doing well and or you're not doing so well and it just goes, oh, I didn't see that because you can get into the, the grind of um, what international cricket's all about. So it's important to, to have fresh eyes. I know that he's been employed as the specialist batter for the short leg drills, which he's uh, clearly warmed to because he's been down on one knee for quite some time. Please, He said today that 
that drill with Cameron Bancroft is a short. He's never seen anyone field a ball like Bancroft does, and he thinks he's the greatest short leg fieldsman in the history of the world. And that could be a decisive thing in the Ashes if he plays. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing. He's he's as courageous as I've ever seen anyone in there. Um, when he first started with us, um, his his willingness to to get in there and get uncomfortable was, excuse me, was refreshing for me because, as you know, it's it's not a position everyone warms to. And not everyone's putting their hand yeah. up for sure. They go, they. <laughs> not it's not at all. It's usually the younger guy goes there. But you, you've seen when Shane Warne bowled how important a good short leg was, and, and now we've got someone of Nathan Nathan Lyon's class, that position there becomes a really important position for us because he creates a lot of chances. And we, if we can re- create a little bit of presence there, um, you go a long way to creating a, um, yeah, to, to get in a wicket. So he, he's definitely the most courageous person I've seen in there. How do you rate the fielding of the Aussies, not just in the, the couple of weeks you spent with, them, with the Ashes Corps, but the World Cup, how's it all going? Yeah, it's real, really good. The guys are brought into to what we wanted it to be about. We Australian teams of the past, our identity has been our fielding, and, and it's a really um, good marker to to mark attitude of the to group. Like if sometimes you can be doing the miles off the ball and and not be involved in the play, and, and sometimes if you forget to do that, and, and that's where the opportunity comes. So I, I've been really impressed with the the way the guys have embraced that identity of what we wanted to stand for and, and how we can get a competitive edge with our, with our fielding. Technically, um, that, that's the easy thing to, to fix with um, this any time, really. It's just making sure they've got the right attitude to want to get in the contest and want to put their presence on the game in the field, and, and I can't fault them at all. Is there an adjustment you have to make fielding in England? Because there's all the talk about having to respond to the Duke's ball with the bat and ball, but in the field, are there any changes? Yeah, there is. We, um Take the squares, for example. At home, you might have a block of the wickets of uh, eight or eight, eight or ten, but here you, it's not uncommon to, to have a, a block of square of, of 20, so the ball can pick up pace a bit quicker and, and go get past you a lot quicker, so you've got to make sure your feet are set and, and sometimes it gets onto you a, a little bit quicker as well. And, and another thing is the cold days, it can hurt. <laughs> And I'm assuming at this we're playing at the back end of the summer, so a lot of those wicket squares are pretty well heavily trafficked, aren't they, by this stage? Yeah, they are, and sometimes you've got to put yourself in a position where you've just got to be courageous and get something behind it. And our guys have been really good. They've responded to everything. And another thing we've focused a lot on is making sure we catch well behind the wicket. That's a really important um, time in test cricket um, to catch well behind the wicket but more more so in, in Ashes campaigns We're, we've got some really good fast bowlers here and um, there's no point having a really good um, group of quicks if we're not catching well behind the wicket On that wicket square the centre one is going to be the test pitch for Birmingham you guys had a look at it today what did you glean from it? Oh, It, it was hard um, I, I don't read too much into a wicket three days out. But the one thing I did notice, it, it was harder than normal. Right. What does that, what does that mean for, for a fan? What's a hard wicket mean? Oh, for, you'd like to think um, it, it would have some really consistent bounce. Um, Nathan Lyons reckons it was, it was drier than normal. Um, but I've never heard Lino say wicket's not dry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, But it, it looked good. Um, it's three days out. I, I don't tend to, to look uh, much to the wicket to... The morning of the game. Right. Last time you guys played here was that World Cup semi. Is it similar to what you encountered there, or was that a real one-day special weather wickets? Um, I, I, one thing I noticed that was similar is 
that they'll scarify in the top uh, a lot to, to bring the grass up. Um, I, as I said, I didn't look close enough, but they, they look like they're doing the same sort of things as they were to the wicket just before the one-day um, semi-final. Right. Let's get into some uh, selection news. Uh, you're obviously part of the coaching staff, so be as vague as you like here, but Uzma Khawaja looked like he passed all his fitness tests today. He was sprinting, running between the wickets, having a bat, fielding out there with you. How's he looking? Yeah, he's got through everything we've asked. We've, we've actually pushed him really hard the last few days, to, um, and he's responded well. He he did a pretty intense session today, running between wickets, um, a, a lot of running with the with the S&Cs, and then he had a quick hit, came back to, to have a catch in the slips um, where he normally fields them back into the net. So they pushed him pretty hard. Um, it, it's best to get the answers now rather than in the test match, and, and, and he's got through everything. Um, we've asked him so far, so we've got two more days. Um, we'll see how he recovers, but all it's, it's all looking like he's going to be right to play. And you were doing some run-through drills with uh, Tim Payne as well, and um, is that just part of his normal prep, or was he punishing you for something? <laughs> oh, no, that was just part of Tim's prep, and oh, he just said, would you like to run with me? No. And I was just looking around <laughs> for things to do, but you know, I, was, I suppose it was a keeper's thing. Um, but, yeah, no, <laughs> he's quite fit, actually. Yeah. <laughs> How's his club work uh, looking? Oh, I've, I've said it before. I, I, I think Tim's club work is, is as good as anyone in the world. Um, it, it's neat. Oh, it, it's enjoyable to, to coach these days. You don't have to say much to him, to him at all. He understands his game. And if something's not quite right, it's only a little look. And he says, oh, I didn't do that. And he... Yeah, he, he he's a he's a pleasure to coach. He, and and from a, from a keeper who who loved the craft as well, it's it's um, pretty rewarding working with him. Is there any tricks you mentioned the fielding on the the square? But wicket keeping here, they often talk about how the ball wobbles late here, particularly lords and places like that. Is that a thing that you can actually prepare for? Do you? Yeah, it is. You've got to make sure you're in good positions that your your weight's not going back on your heels, so you can react if the ball does um, drop or swing. So. Traditionally, it's, it can be a, um, a, a tough time keeping over here. Um, if your technique's not up to scratch, um, you, you can sometimes be found out over here. So I, I'm pretty confident Tim's got all that under control. They're, they're all the stuff that we talk about pre-tour. Um, we do a lot of stuff um, leading into uh, to counteract if that does happen. So, yeah, he's in, he's in a pretty good place for it. The two fairly formidable pace attacks and all-round attacks set to take part in this series. Runs are going to be crucial uh, and runs out of the tail. Uh, can you explain the work you've been doing with the, with the lower order to try and get them to eke out every run? Yeah, uh, Malfi's given me a, a bit of a project to, to work with the tail. I, I think one thing when I play, it was an enjoyable time to, to bat with the tail and sometimes in they can be left um, to their own devices a bit with how, how much time you're trying to spend on everyone else. And it, to me, it's just been about giving them clarity around their role and what the bowlers are trying to to do to them and simplify their game plan. Um, we've got some really ta- talented um, lower order batters there, but for me, it's, it's making sure that they understand their strengths and weaknesses and and a little bit about what the opposition are going to try to to do with them. So yeah, it's it's enjoyable. Um, yeah, we've had some good conversations and some some good nets. Um, so it's yeah, and we've got Stephen here as well. He he was a he was a pretty handy batter with the tail also. So we've we're tapped into him a little. Is there a benchmark there? I know previous coaches have spoken about if each tail ender can face you know twenty five balls or something, then you're going to get a, 
used addition to your total. Is that what you're sort of aiming at? Or? Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stats around whether you face twenty balls or thirty balls. This is uh, your percentage to win. But I, me personally, I, I like to take it back to partnerships. Um, say, for example, if you're working on fifty partnerships for the tail, like Mitchell Stark's game, he he can move the game forward really well. And and if he gets a thirty five and Camo gets fifteen or something um, in that same time. I, I just like them to work in partnerships. That you're not thinking too much about your individual score, um, and you've got a clear game plan on what's going to happen. I, I think it's it's easier to to work together in a pair rather than just leave yourself isolated because you you, you know when the tail comes in, you, you know fast bowlers grow an extra leg, and so it's just making sure they've got real clarity a, a, around what their role is and what's about to come at them. You've been a part of a number of Ashes squads. Uh, where does this one sort of stack up compared to the ones you've been around? Oh, it's it's no different. Um, you've got a good mix of, of senior players. You, you've got some some guys here on their on their first Ashes series as well. I, I think the the one thing that that all Ashes squads have is there's heroes um, that you sometimes don't expect or will come will come come up and in Ashes brings brings different things out of different people so i think we've got a really good mix through the whole squad and, and that's been forever and a day in a squad but ashes can bring different things out of different people so i'm just interested to see how our guys react you were there uh, behind the stumps when mitchell johnson had that amazing 2013-14 series uh, with so many quality fast bowls at australia's disposal is there someone amongst the pack that you could see having a similar series oh you don't want to put... I think the one thing we have in this squad um, is a really good mix of um, different types of bowlers. And, and I think you, you can get different conditions over here. You can get really dry wickets. You, you can get wickets that will seam or, or overhead conditions uh, here where the ball swings a lot more. So I think the one thing we've done really well with this group is we've covered all bases. And then we've just got to be brave enough then if those situations arise... We've got the confidence in everyone in our squad to, to go and do that job. That'll be a tough thing, won't it? They've, you guys have said that the, the bowling attack will change to suit the conditions, but it's really pulling the triggers and, and making that tough call if someone's played well in the previous game to make the change. Yeah, but I think we've shown that through the World Cup, our, our appetite to do that. Um, I, I think one of the things JL said during the World Cup is, is our flexibility will be our strength. Um, and that's the same with our fast bowling group. I, I think we've got a really good opportunity here to to really make some smart des- decisions depending on um, what surfaces we get. They they might stay the same for the the whole whole three like they did in 2013, but we've got the option to change it if we think that we need to. How about your fondest memory? Let's go back to 05. Um, any sort of uh, fond memory? I think Rambo might have one for you. I have this, I'm not sure if this is a memory because I'm an old man and I forget things, but I have this vague recall of going to Lords and you and perhaps Brad Hodge and a couple of members of the Australian Ballet pulled out for a, a photo shoot. Um, Couldn't a, I? is that correct? And B, what was going on there? <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Um, and oh, Brad and I... After a long tour of not playing, we thought we were pretty fit at that stage, so we thought we'd try the tutu on. And it wasn't a bad look, because you had the frosted <laughs> hair back in the day, like you were looking a bit like a rock star, but uh, did, were you given any stretching exercise or anything to limber up for that? Yeah, but we, we were, but um, Brad and I didn't pass. 
<laughs> and that was the end of your dancing career, or has there been more since then? No, that was done. That after that day, they said, Mate, "You, you guys are good cricketers. <laughs> stick, stick to that. <laughs> stick to that." Did you get tickets to the ballet as a result of that? No, no. I think that they looked at us and said, "No, these guys are not what we need." <laughs> What about your your perspective in that 05 series? A lot of talk about the, all the, the superstars I played, but you were in the back room. What was it like for you? I, I for, To me, it was the first. You, you, you hear a lot about Ashes cricket. Um, you start late at night and watch on telly or, or even on the radio. Um, but to to be involved in such a... Oh, one of the most exciting series of, of, of modern time. It, it, it was great to be a part of. The, the pressure was different. That's the... The one thing that every test match is important, but the the hype around an Ashes campaign was huge, and the way um, the English just braced, jumped onto that series, you you, you couldn't go anywhere, um, and you you'd know that um, Rambo too. We, there's so much excitement around the plate, you could not go anywhere without everyone talking about cricket. You know, um, it, it's a mad soccer country, but cricket over that period of time was massive and, and to me personally I that just gave you the hunger to to want to be involved in that to, you wanted to test yourself under those different pressures and from that from that moment there after that tour all, all I ever wanted to do was be a part of an Ashes campaign I've got to ask as the fielding coach on day one at Edgbaston would you be making sure there are no balls left <laughs> in on the field so that someone might stumble upon them there'll be no balls anywhere near our bowlers feet or any of our players for that matter of fact <laughs> was it you, wasn't you that threw the rugby ball to him in that drill was it no, McGrath, well, when he went no, that, no I didn't throw the pass I would have hit him on the chest <laughs> <laughs> I guess in terms of um, pin, uh, highlights of your career that 13-14 Ashes series must be right up there yeah, it was for for a number of reasons, actually. Um, I, I just had 12 months out of the game and I, I didn't think I'd get the opportunity to play for Australia again, but to be a part of an Ashes campaign, that was a bit of the driving force why he wanted to, to come back and, and and to win it with some of your really good mates, with, with Jono, Sids, um, Ryan Harris. And it, it, was, it was just really enjoyable, enjoyable time. We, we just spoke about how... Over here in England, they embraced 2005. We, we we felt the same in 2013 with the Australian public and the style of cricket we played. Um, I, I thought everyone really enjoyed it. Well, let's hope the Australian public get behind uh, this team. And then when when's the next Ashes Tour in Australia? When's that? No, uh, 20, 21, Chess, 22. Championship <laughs> roster, but oh, it must right. be one coming up in the next 20 That's or 30 right. years, surely. Are you a fan of the numbers on the back of the shirts? Am I? Yeah. Do I have to answer this politically correct? No, you can no, I'm say. No, I'm not a fan of you're, it. Oh, you're I'm a traditionalist. Not, yeah, no. I'm, That's okay. I'm not a fan of the, the numbers. I I don't mind it for, for one day cricket and I can understand it if you want it in first class cricket. But um, I, I, I like the, the no numbers on the back for um, test cricket. But we're in a modern game now, aren't we? That's right. The times. That's right. Fans who don't know exactly who they're on the field, they can spot them by their names and numbers now. But I guess it's the beauty of test cricket. You've got five days to figure out who's who. <laughs> That's a good point. If you don't know that, if you turn up to a test match and you don't know the players, well, 
that's a problem in itself. And then there's the problem that we had in Southampton where one player was wearing another's shirt, which confused a few commentators. And uh, the scorers. I think Nathan Lyon took a lot of catches at first slip. <laughs> it was the, out in the boundary. Well, I noticed that Stephen Smith went back to his original shirt when he went out to bat. He didn't want to be confused with Nathan Lyon then. That might be interesting. What if a player's a couple of shorts of a milestone, a couple of runs short of a milestone, they chuck on the wrong shirt, get those runs allocated to them, and there you go. Records are being set all over the shop. It's a conundrum. I don't know how we fix that. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see. Brad, thanks for your time today and all the best uh, over these next five test matches. Thanks for having me. Rambo, Brad Haddon is gone, but we are still here. And the Australian women's cricket team have officially won the Ashes. They retained it with that draw in the test match, but two thumping wins in the T20s. Uh, Meg Lanning scoring an unbelievable century and then... Uh, helping chase down a pretty uh, modest total in Brighton. They're um, only one win away from not quite a clean sweep because they didn't win the Test match, but they will deny England a victory if they can win their last T20, which is on the eve of the first Ashes Test. It's just been mightily impressive from the women's team. It has been. It's been clinical, I think. Uh, as you say, there's just the, the no result in the Test match. would probably If they look upon that as the, uh, the downside, then things have gone pretty well, haven't they? they mm. People are already comparing it to the 1948 Bradman team that came over here and didn't lose a game. Um, so if that's your benchmark, then uh, I think... And that Meg Lanning innings was something extraordinary, wasn't it? Like that was unbelievable. Yeah, it was incredible. Out of the box, you just don't see that. You go a long way to see another innings like that. So um, that's been an outstanding success. And hopefully they'll get some due accolades when they get home. The crazy thing about that team is they're still so young. Like uh, Healy, Perry, Lanning, they're all in their sort of mid to late 20s. And you've got... Players like Molyneux, Gardner, they're in their early 20s. They've got teenagers playing in that squad. They're all super talented. It's uh, pretty scary about how much world domination could be in their future. And doesn't it set the scene for the uh, World 2020 coming up in Australia? Uh, they're looking to pack the MCG for a, a full house for the final. If Meg Lanning's going to bat like that and Elise Perry's going to bat and bowl like she has in the last game, then uh, you'd want to get there. Get there, March 8th, International Women's Day, the T20 World Cup final. Uh, let's get back here to Birmingham. Uh, let's, do our, let's do our play it or leave it segment. They're the only two options I've got. I can't run down the pitch and try and belt one back over the fence. That's all you've got. I'm Josh Hazelwood. Now it's time for play it or leave it. Righto, Rambo. We'll, we'll both have a crack at this. Um, we've got six here for us. Uh, let's start off with uh, first one. There will be a result in this series. Now, the last time there was a drawn Ashes series was 1972. It was two all, and England retained the Ashes with that draw. 72. Do you remember that one? I do. Yes, I was. Uh, <laughs> of course, uh, had only just finished work then. I was close to retirement. Um, that would have been a result, but for the um, dodgy pitch they got at Headingley, I think was that 72. It the, could have been. Uh, uh, and the fusarium, whatever it was, the fungus that hit the pitch. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so will there be a result? Yes, I think. Um, the weather, back end of summer, weather will hold. I think uh, the chances of a drawn series, no. You're I'm, playing it. I'm playing it. I'm leaving it. I think it will be a draw. How's that? On what basis? Rain, and then I think Australia win the last test match to draw the series to retain the Ashes. Oh, a live test right at the yep, end. Yep, we'll be going right to the end. Uh, okay, Australia's batters to score more centuries than England's batters in this series. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a ball-dominated series, so I'd probably 
play that one on the basis of the uh, the look of the Australian top order uh, as opposed to England. I, I must admit the last time I saw England's top order was against Ireland when they got bowled out for 85 in a session, so mm. that hasn't filled me with confidence on that question. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to play that one. I think the Aussies are, are primed to score many hundreds this series. Okay, conversely, the bowlers. Will... Uh, England's seam attack will take more wickets than Australia's seam attack this series. Uh, I think I'll leave that one on the basis that uh, Australia's seam attack is pretty multi-pronged, for want of a better word, and England's two best bowlers at the moment are 37. I think James Anderson turns 37 this week. Yes, Tuesday. Tuesday? Um, That's tomorrow. Next, uh, next Tuesday. Oh, the Tuesday after. And Stuart Broad's obviously 33, I think. So the them and the fact that you know, Mark Wood is injured and probably not expected to play much of a role in this series makes me go, no, I think I'll give that one a pass. You're leaving that one. I'm leaving it too, but I'm leaving it because uh, I think uh, Nathan Lyon's going to take up. Actually, I'm playing it. I think England's, sorry, England's seam bowls will take more wickets than Australia because Nathan Lyon's going to rob the Aussie seamers of some of their wickets. He's the premier spinner in the world. I think he's going to take a few off the Aussie seamers. I don't see Mo and Ali getting a whole lot of wickets in this series. So it might be all seam wickets for England, whereas I reckon Australia, if they take 100 wickets and win the series, Nathan Lyon might take 20 of them. So he might pinch some off his fast bowling friends. You mentioned this earlier, Rambo, but... Uh, Nine or more wickets will fall in a session more than once across the series. We've seen it a couple of times. You saw Ireland do it. Uh, England did it against Ireland. Uh, Durham to 2013, it happened there. Nine wickets fell in that session. And uh, probably should forget it, but we've got to bring it up. Uh, Trent Bridge in 2015. Uh, Ten wickets fell in less than 19 overs then. So, yeah, uh, uh, nine wickets or more to fall in a session more than once. More than once. No, I'm going to leave that. I don't think... Well, I think we've seen that as in so often in the last few years that it can't keep happening. Surely batting... Someone will dig in at some point once you start losing wickets at that sort of a clatter. It happened twice last week. I'm playing it. I think it's going to happen again. Oh, no, I think it's, it's a bit like you know lotto numbers. Once you've seen the ones that you normally pick come out, it's never going to happen again. So, uh, Not that I've ever picked lotto numbers, so I mm. don't really know what I'm talking about. And I'm not just thinking 1 to 9 or 1 to 10. I'm thinking the tail of one team and then the top order of, of oh, another team. Well, it's even allowing for the 10-minute change of innings, you yes. think there's still enough time yep. to sneak. Uh, no, no, I'm not seeing it. He's I'm not, not seeing it. it at all. Okay. Uh, how about this? Uh, we will see teams sent into bat at least twice a series. You know the old adage, win the toss and bat. This one, uh, English conditions. Uh, yeah, I'd probably play that because I think the strength of both these teams at this stage is probably their bowling attack. So uh, I think if you were winning the toss on a cloudy morning, which is what they're forecasting for Birmingham on Thursday when the first test starts, um, you'd probably be thinking about putting them in Getting those nine wickets or so that you're talking about in the mm. in a session, um, making that sort of a start, and then backing yourself when the pitch is flattened out to to chase down whatever you can. So, uh, yeah, I think sending in might become the new batting first. We'll need to make sure Tim Payne wins a toss because he had a terrible record until that Southampton game. He won the toss there. I think he did. We don't really know. It was sort of a dodgy one, wasn't it? I think he won it. No one is actually there for the coin toss, but uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, given the most a lot of wickets fell in that first session, and uh, he sent in he, on that pitch, he did. didn't he? So maybe just getting himself into form for that move yeah. as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, a couple more. There will be a concussion substitute this series. We don't want to see one, 
but uh, concussion substitutes, it's part of the playing conditions for the World Test Championship, which begins with the first test of the Ashes. Uh, still a bit of grey area about it. We spoke to uh, Jeff Allardyce, who's the head of cricket operations for the ICC, and he's explaining to us a little bit about like-for-like like replacements. We don't want to see one, but do you think we will see one? Uh, yeah, I would play that because I think it's once you bring in those rules, I think mean, you'd have to think that most series has been batsmen hitting the head at some point. And yeah. the concussion test is a far more detailed uh, process now, so they're much better off at uh, working out. People are feeling the effects, and delayed concussions obviously an issue. Very mindful of the long term effects this can have. So, and it's not just um, batsmen facing these army of fast bowlers. It's you know, as we've mentioned with Brad Haddon, it's the short leg fielder that is yes. often at peril. Uh, ball being hit hard into the the helmet, so um, I think there's a reasonable chance that we'll see someone at some point subbed off the field with concussion, and that rule come into play. I'm going to leave it. Hopefully, we won't see it. So we're not I don't to want to see it. No, I don't want to see it. But you, yeah, that That's wasn't okay. the question. That's right. That's right. I'm still leaving it. Uh, and finally, Australia will retain the Ashes. They're going to head home with the urn. Australia will retain it. I would play that simply because it's time. Like it's you know, eighteen the, years, Andrew. Eighteen years. They England spent all that time talking about how they this was the time for the World Cup. This was their World Cup summer. It's coming home. Well, <laughs> the Ashes urn, it stays home. It's it doesn't in. go anywhere. Yes. No matter who wins it, it stays in the museum at Lords. So the crystal urn replica is leaving home. That's what I'm picking. What's more important, is it the urn or the ashes inside? Because if it, if it breaks, they should just burn it and put it in a new urn. No one actually knows what's inside there. I think that's the interesting... A stump and a bale, well, there? that's the theory. That's the myth. Um, there a was perfume some, container. A perfume container that was presented uh, you know, outside of Melbourne, at, mm. uh, the, the homestead of a, you know, a cricket-loving philanthropist or his wife gave the, yeah. as a gift to... Uh, uh, Ivo Bly back in the day. Um, I think they should move with the times and just maybe get rid of the ash and just have it as a vape. Oh, right. The electronic cigarette. So maybe some sort of electronic, like the zing bales, an ashes urn that lights up and perhaps sends out a little puff of scented smoke. I think that'd be nice. It's not too bad. We've got numbers and names on the back of test shirts now, so I would say anything's possible. You've got to move with the times. Just a quick uh, error we made earlier. In fact... It's not like us? No. Uh, first one for the tour. Uh, James Anderson has heard this. Just got a text message, and it is actually his birthday on the thirtieth of July when this podcast comes out. So, happy birthday, James Anderson! James, happy birthday! All the best. Um, as they say, I uh, hope everything falls into place except the ashes. Last thoughts ahead of the the first test. Rambo is ready to get this started. I think so. I think you know, this. Ashes has always got this mystique and build-up about it, and this has been quite unusual. We've had the intra-squad game where Australia play Australia, so um, Australia haven't won a game and also haven't lost a game on this tour. Um, and I think now it's just a question of getting out there. You know, three days out from the test or two days out from the test, mm. people just want to get it underway, and hopefully the Birmingham weather will do the right thing and uh, give us a start at, uh, at the appointed time on Thursday. Let the boys play England. They've got some selection situations themselves. Will Jafar Archer play? Will Anderson be fit? We saw him play today. So they've got top order issues, Jason Roy and Night Watchman, and there's plenty going on. There's always drama in Ashes series. In fact, Ashley Giles even said today that he expects to be some sort of incident in the middle. We don't know what that's going to be, but if he's thinking it's going to happen, then maybe it will. Maybe it will. It's always, uh, as they say, very spirited competition. It is. So... Uh, uh, 
Oh, you just can't wait, really, can you? This is what this is what you live for. It is. It is. Thank you for your time again today, Andrew. Uh, don't miss a minute of Ash's coverage, news, scores, highlights, videos, Rambo's articles. What else you got on there? Some other things? We may, might have got to find a photo of Brad Haddon in the ballerina. Yes, I don't know. We'll put that on there somewhere. There's only one place to check out. It's cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.